Paul, you're back. It's great to have you again. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. I had a lot of fun last week. I think it's really cool. It's sort of a, a snapshot in time, talking about you know current events or I guess ideas or, or items that sort of come into your mind or interesting stories that you want to talk about. As you know, last week we talked about COVID-19, which is obviously a very relevant topic of what's going on in our world right now. And I thought it would be kind of neat to come back to it a couple months from now to listen to that podcast or even a couple years from now and just think and listen and realize what a crazy time we live in right now. So to have that opportunity to to join you on these podcasts is is really cool. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah. And I think we were talking earlier just about how the more you do this, the more you'll pick up little things that little ticks or habits that you have. And it's been a great way to listen back to how you sound and, and improve on certain things, filler words. You know, we both were, we were both in Toastmasters and filler words was something that they pay attention to all those filler words, the ums, the ahs, the you knows, and, and is also one, I mean, it's, it's incredible. So Toastmasters, I highly recommend it for anyone that's looking to improve public speaking. It certainly has been a lot of value for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It really has. And to have that opportunity to listen back to to see how you sound, it really is pretty cool experience because normally one doesn't listen to themselves talk. I think more people should probably do that. Uh, So having that opportunity to be able to listen to yourself in conversations, um, you know, see how you, you carry yourself, make sure you don't have any uh, try to minimize your filler words. I was a little surprised that I had more than I wanted to, but that's okay. This is to be a, a casual conversation. It's not meant to be perfect. We're here to have a, a great conversation, keep things interesting and entertaining, and hopefully our our listeners agree with us and want to come back for more. All right, so you had a topic today about, or we both, I guess, had the topic about trivia nuts and just what is it behind people who play trivia? I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of pub trivia. I belong to a trivia club here in to- in Tokyo, and we get together once a month at one pub, and then actually both both clubs are once a month, and we get together as a team. There are some people in our group that are some incredible trivia guys, and it just astounds me the amount of knowledge that these guys have. I mean, I'm the runt of the litter when it comes to trivia, and I thought I was pretty good at at trivia. So when I have these, I'll call them the Michael Jordans of trivia, it's it's incredible to me how well these guys can perform and the knowledge they have. And I mentioned this to you as a topic, and we decided we wanted to talk a little bit about it today. What you you were doing some reading on this and found some actual science science behind or research around what who are these people and how do they how do they get where they are or what? They, why don't you share some of that with us? I came across an interesting article. It's called "Are You Dumb If You're Bad at Trivia?" <laughs> and right then and there, I think the uh, the title says it all. Well, that makes me think, uh, are you smart if you're good at trivia? Well, not necessarily. And let me explain, because for those of you that are not good at trivia, don't worry. The answer is no, you're not dumb. <laughs> so <laughs> what it comes down to is that, well, it all depends on really how your brain is wired, how your brain processes information. So, for example, it talks about 
rapid recall ability with specific memories. So in other words, how your brain organizes memories, um, the ability to quickly retrieve information, you know, to be able to think on your feet when you see a question to be able to obtain that information, I guess, sort of from your memory banks, I guess. Prioritization of memories. I think every person is different when it comes to that in terms of what you feel or how your brain organizes information. You know, you could be a doctor or a lawyer, but you may be lousy at trivia, and that's okay. Maybe your your brain is not sort of designed to, to retrieve that kind of information, or, or maybe you have other memories or information in your brain that, that is of a higher priority than obscure movie stars, that type of thing. And last but not least, they went on to say the ability to create memories of oral, visual, and written events, which means some people could be better with written words. Some people could be better with audio. So, for example, you know, I I'm, I'm like to think of myself, as I said, pretty good at trivia, and I'm good at recognizing words, but if you play me a song title, I suck at that. That is something that I am not good at, whereas some people could be really good. You know, me, maybe music is your thing. And hearing a song title, you can name every single song there is to know or... Yeah, but isn't that more about... Okay, so if you're interested in a subject like music, you're a music... You just you just love music and you, I guess, a music person. Because in our trivia mm. group, we definitely have... The Michael Jordans of our group are actually not very good at the music part. And I, I wonder, is mm. that just the way they think or is it just interest level all i can do is speak personally about that and and as i said for myself and and for my wife you know we're pretty good at trivia granted i haven't played against your team but you know <laughs> that that could be a different story but for me you know i like to keep apprised of current affairs i, I follow sports um i you know as you know i'm a huge baseball fan hockey fan so i've i've absorbed a lot of information from past players and from years and years of being a fan. One very interesting tidbit of perhaps useless information that some people may may want to know about me is that I am extremely good at presidential trivia, US presidential history. Yeah, so what's the history on that? Where do you where does that come from? Uh, no word of a lie, I have I guess being a student or, or, or fan of U.S. presidential history since I was like nine years old. I guess it all started when I went on a family vacation to Washington, D.C. when I was, I said, eight or nine. And I got the uh, the book of presidents from the gift shop and I just had a, just gravitated towards it. I read that thing from cover to cover several times over and I've always, always had a, a lifelong interest and in, in love of U.S. politics, which... Some people may may find very bizarre, seeing as how I'm from Canada. Um, and I, I do follow Canadian politics as well. You know, I, I know my prime ministers. But I just, I, I'm interested in politics. I've always followed politics. And I've always found it interesting, no matter how frustrating or, or how nasty politics gets from time to time. It's still something that is extremely interesting and, and fascinating to me personally. All right, I have to test you. Twenty-sixth president of the United States is Theodore Roosevelt, and you can look that up on Wikipedia. I believe you, and I know 
no word of a lie, you do not have the list of presidents in front of you because this is something stupid bar tricks, I guess, that you you can be pulled (laughs) in at a moment's notice and and we can do this um, in front of people. There's a fascinating book out there, by the way, for anyone that's interested called Moonwalking with Einstein, which is a a book about memory and how a, a person is, the author researches different people's memories. He spends a lot of time studying memory champions and how they win at -hmm. memory championships and how they use these symbols of things to represent, like numbers, for instance. He takes, you can have people that will, will remember a thousand numbers in a sequence. And the way they do it is they use letters and form words with those letters. So, I highly recommend that book to people who, and this might be a topic we can explore a bit on another episode, because there's actually a documentary out there about memory champions and and the whole thing mm-hmm. behind how they, they work and how they operate, which I think could be an interesting topic. There's people out there that are good at absolutely everything. Like, they know everything under the sun. Like, you know, a lot of people may say, wow, this guy's pretty smart if he knows about, you know, obscure U.S. presidents and obscure Canadian prime ministers and British monarchs and stuff like that. But if you ask me a math or science question, I'm dead in the water. And that's something, I guess math and science has never really sort of been my, my forte. You know, it's it's never really been a, an interest, I suppose. So I think your knowledge is very much tied into your own personal interests, which you find to be interesting. It can be, um, but I, I've, we have guys on our team that literally they just know every single thing about everything. Yeah. And with rare exceptions, they turn to look at the rest of the team and say, I'm stumped here. It's unbelievable. Hmm. I did ask one of the guys on our team, come on, Brian, tell, tell us, like, how do you know all this stuff? And he, he attributed it to the fact that when he was growing up, he w- was not allowed to watch television and that he read a lot of books and he just that was how he learned all of this information. Now, I don't know how he knows current information when those questions come up because that doesn't have anything to do with his childhood. But I thought that was an interesting take on what's the secret. Mm-hmm. I'd love to actually interview somebody on this and, and find out a little bit more, like interview a past mm-hmm. Jeopardy person. Yeah, I was going to mention that about Jeopardy and who wants to be a millionaire and those types of shows. And I wonder if you have to study for that or is it just a a natural talent that is reflected in those shows? I'd be interested to sort of see, you know, the, the behind the scenes aspect of it. And, you know, maybe some of it is a little bit to uh, to chance as well. Have you ever seen, uh, well, Slumdog Millionaire, which was a great movie. You know, sometimes it's just by pure chance that, that you have the ability to answer answer these questions. Sometimes you just have a great night. Others, maybe not so much. But yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating topic, and you know we could we could talk for a long time about uh, about trivia. But you know, for me, it's it's a it's a fun activity. It's great for socializing. It's uh, it's a it's a great time to to be at a pub with a pint in your hand. And in these times of COVID nineteen, I'm sure all of us would love to be in a, a pub right now with uh, with our friends and. Sitting down to a trivia game. I want to move into the when parents lied to you topic. Tell me more about when parents lied to you. Why is this something you wanted to talk about? Times when your parents lied to you as a child, but you did not find out about that until you were an adult. 
the reason I brought this up is because it kind of triggered my my memory of, of a past story I can like to share with you. So let's rewind here. I'm about nine or ten years old, so 1985, 1986. And of our listeners, those probably only over the age of 35 would remember Kmart, when Kmart was a big deal in Canada, long, long before Walmart ever came around. And Kmart was was the place to be, you know, back when Kmart was was good. Uh, everyone shopped at Kmart. As a as a kid, I remember that they used to have a coloring contest. I think it was in their uh, their cafeteria area. A coloring contest of open to, to to kids. And the grand prize was ten dollars, which back in those days that was a a lot of money for a ten year old kid. So anyway, I entered this coloring contest, and lo and behold, I won. And I was I was pretty happy with myself because I've I always liked art as a kid and I always was pretty good at it and, and took a lot of pride in it. I was, you know, that kid that, that you know, when I colored, I, I kept it within the lines. Let's fast forward. So I'm in my early 30s and, you know, I was talking to my mom one day about, hey, remember that time, you know, I won that coloring contest? That was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not sure how it came up in conversation, and and yeah, I, I recall you know winning that contest and how how good it felt. And her response was, "Yeah, about that contest, <laughs> you actually didn't win it. I actually forged a letter from Kmart and put the ten dollars in myself to make you think that you won it." And mm, <laughs> you know, mm. I got it got me thinking here. It's like there was that moment of of sheer disappointment, knowing that I actually did not win that coloring contest. You know, it it kind of let you down a little bit. And you know, as as a parent now, I I can now kind of appreciate what she did because you know, as a ten year old, it, it makes your day. You know, it makes you feel good and gives you some confidence. But as an adult, when you hear that, it's like it kind of. I wouldn't say she shatters a childhood memory, but... Did you feel betrayal? Did you feel betrayed by that? I don't know. I wasn't angry. I, I wasn't sure how to feel on that. Just a little bit disappointed, I suppose. And I wonder, like, would it have been better off if she hadn't have told me at all? Or was it good that she did tell me? Because being in my early 30s, when hearing about this, obviously I was mature enough to kind of shrug it off and not throw a temper tantrum or something like that. Still, it kind of begs the question as to, is it okay for parents to tell white lies if by doing so kind of protects you or, or gives you that confidence boost as a, as a child that, you know, let's face it, children do need those confidence boosters and they do need to... Do they? I, that's, see, though, this would have been this would have been pre-trophy, oh, every kid wins a trophy generation. Yeah, but you know what? It's, I, I see where you're coming from, and, and I don't want to overthink it too much with the trophy because this was something, this was just a, a simple coloring contest, a coloring contest that, that made me feel good for a day. You know, I wasn't a, a kid that won tons of trophies or won all these academic awards to say that, you know, the winning the coloring contest was my crowning achievement by any means. Nonetheless, it was still a childhood memory where suddenly your outlook on it is now completely different. And yeah. it just it got you thinking, you know, it's is it okay for parents to tell white lies? You know, is how how far do we go to protect our kids or or to, to make them feel 
better or good about themselves. Because we've all heard like the the typical parent sayings where, you know, oh, if you sit too close to the TV, it's going to hurt your eyes. If you, if you swallow your gum, it's going to stay in your stomach for seven years. Like all this is kind of, <laughs> it's wrong. And we, we know it's fake. But as a kid, you believe it. I think there's a big difference between telling a kid he won a coloring contest than if you chew gum, it's going to make your, it's going to stay in your stomach for eight years. Mm. That, that to me is a very different thing. Personally, disagree with telling kids they've, in your example, I would, I wouldn't do that. I just disagree with that because I think, I just think it's it's false. I, I would find that to be... I mean, I wouldn't be angry with my parents necessarily that they did it, but I would feel... I personally would not do that with my kids. That's that's not the way you build character. I think not winning coloring contests is how you actually build character. But there's other times when parents will tell you stories. Like, you know, for example, if you had a, a dead animal and they say, oh, I went to... Went to go live on Uncle Bob's farm, that type of thing. You know, it it can mean can mean a lot of different things, and and can take many different forms. Well, okay. So on that topic, on the on the dead the dead animal topic, I think that's an important one. There again, I disagree with making up stories around actual things that happen in life. This is a problem, I think. If you have difficulty telling your kids that Fluffy died. It, then you, it's it's on you. It's not on the kids. I know kid, parents are trying to re- protect their kids. Those, to me, are the opportunities to actually help kids build up what it's like to experience grief. That mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to explain that Fluffy passed away or died or whatever you want to say, because it's going to make it maybe a little easier when somebody, like a human, like a grandparent or a friend passes away. So I, again, I disagree. And I, I struggle with it. My wife is much better with this sort of stuff. She's very, she's more apt to be direct about a situation. Not isn't easy. This is where I think parents have to not take the easy route and share a story. I know they're trying to protect their kids, but I disagree with making up stories around these things. No, I, I, I do agree on that concept. For myself, in the way in which I parent, I've always been very open and honest with with my son. You know, we've had pets that have passed away in the in past years, and we've been honest with him. Just say, you know, that the cat has has passed on, and it's you're right. It's it's just it's a it's it's life. Why why would you hide it? You know, no matter what the age, I think you need to be honest with kids. But I, I guess where I was, do you tell a two year old the same thing you tell a five year old? Yeah, you know what, I was just about to say that, yeah, maybe it might depend on the age. You know, maybe if you have, you know, a three or four-year-old, your view on that might be a little bit different. Again, I think it all comes back to the parents, and they're trying to protect their kids, but I think in the end, it's it's more harmful in the end to, to do that. Mm. All right, so weird news. Smart Toilet recognizes users' backsides and analyzes poop. please tell a team of stanford university scientists announced they have designed a smart toilet that identifies the user by the shape of their backside and monitors the health of their waist Hmm. okay 
says here that uh, using the Precision Health Smart Toilet, that's the name of this thing, to recognize users and use algorithms to analyze the health of their urination and bowel movements. The toilet uses cameras and motion sensors to identify a range of disease markers in stool and urine, including warning signs of various types of cancer. Wow. Okay. As you might know, Japan is known for having some fancy toilets. Probably some of the listeners know that as well, especially those that have come to visit Japan. We have these bidet-type toilets, but this takes it to a whole different level. I mean, would you sit on the toilet designed this way? Wow. Uh, wouldn't that be a potential for privacy issues? You know, like what, what if what if pictures of your derriere got uh, leaked out or if there's a cyber hack? Well, that's a good point. I It doesn't mention anything about it being a... It is a... They're calling it a smart... To- I mean, they call it a precision health smart toilet. So I wonder, is this thing like wired to the cloud somehow? I would imagine it, it probably is. It would have to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I would be interested to, to take a look at this thing. I, I wonder about the whole cyber aspect of it. You know, maybe that's, you know, because I'm an insurance guy. I, that's, that's, how I'm, <laughs> that's how I'm programmed. To be diagnosed by a toilet. I don't know how I would feel about that. But uh, <laughs> hey, if if it if it perhaps saves lives, that, I guess that's a good thing. Well, according to this, it uh, it does have it's a that that some of the features they described here. There's a fingerprint scan, a anal print scan. It does mention, in fact, they have the Wi-Fi mm. symbol. They advise us that it is cloud. It's a cloud-based okay, health go. portal. Yeah. So you're definitely, this stuff's definitely getting uploaded somewhere. Yeah, who looks at it? Yeah. So I'll post the link to this in the show notes. It's, I'm curious as to others and they would use this thing. I, I, I didn't even think of the privacy aspect mm. of it. And by using this thing, does this mean you don't have to go for a colonoscopy? Well, I'm sure if it does mean that, that uh, that would be a very interesting feature. I mean, I'm planning, we have the toilets here in Japan are fancy, I guess, to a certain extent. And I've told my wife I want to install one of these things mm. in our house when we move back because... <laughs> not not the smart toilet, not the one that we were describing, but just the regular Japanese toilet, which almost sounds pale in comparison to the features this thing has. But yeah, I, I'd be interested to see if this becomes mainstream. You know, maybe this is the wave of the future where 30 years from now, is every toilet going to be that way? It could. Okay, I've got one more here. This one definitely relates to COVID-19. Headline is, judge reminds lawyers to get out of bed, put on shirts for Zoom hearings. <laughs> yeah. So we have a mutual friend who's actually a judge. He's advised me that there are a number of, well, court proceedings are now taking place over over Zoom or over Skype or, or some technology that allows people to hold these courtroom hearings. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, he has to personally go into court, the courtroom and conduct these meetings. He's the only one sitting in court, but everybody else is dialing. In. Okay. So this this has kind of made me make the connection. So, guy, this is in um, Florida, as t- things always tend to be <laughs> Florida-based. So a Florida judge issued a letter to lawyers in his district reminding them to get out of bed and put on shirts before teleconferencing into online hearings. Judge Dennis Bailey of Broward Circuit Court, he says that he started holding some hearings virtually using teleconferencing app Zoom. He has seen decorum being left by the wayside. He said it's remarkable how many attorneys appear inappropriate on camera. 
We've seen many lawyers in casual shirts and blouses with no concern for ill-grooming, in bedrooms with the master bed in the background, etc. One lawyer appeared shirtless, and one female attorney appeared still in bed under the covers. (laughs) Yeah, because I was just about to say to you, I guess the key word there is, quote, get out of bed. Yeah, especially if you have a a video conference, you know, it's bad enough. Let's say if it's just an audio, I would still at least get out of bed. But yeah, that, that's that's a puzzling one, especially coming from lawyers. You know, you would you would maybe expect that from perhaps some of the defendants, but from the lawyers, yeah, you, you would expect a, a little bit more professionalism on that. Yeah, I, I know it, it's common practice for people to stay in their pajamas most of the day, but uh, I would like to think that at least people wear pants. And and you'll be glad to know that I'm wearing pants right now for our Zoom meeting as well. Well, I will tell you, I'm still wearing my pajamas, but I do plan to change after this podcast. Well, it is morning for you, so we'll, we'll let you off. It's okay. Well, I think that's a good spot to end. And uh, thanks again for, for being on the show and uh, looking forward to the next one. Thanks again for having me, and uh, I hope to be back again.